the Vikings, they were playing against the San Francisco 49ers, and he collected up a fumble. He picked up a fumble, and he ran it back 66 yards for a touchdown. And he gets in the end zone. He starts to celebrate. He's very excited. I think he spikes the ball, only to find out that he was in the wrong end zone. How embarrassing. Can you imagine the look on his face when he realized that he was in the wrong end zone? Now, all of us, I think, have experienced something like this, hopefully not quite as public, but we've experienced moments like these. When the wool is pulled from our eyes, when we see things the way they really are. Luke, I am your father. What? Darth Vader is Luke's father? Now, sometimes we're relieved when we find out the truth. Other times we're completely shocked, we're surprised. Sometimes we feel like a big moron for missing things, right? Now, when Jesus came to earth, that's what he did. He, he pulls the wool from our eyes. He turns the lights up on the world. But not everyone liked it. In fact, some people rejected him. Some people denied him. Some people didn't trust Jesus. They didn't believe what he said about himself. They worried that their own authority and their own independence may have been threatened if his claims about himself were true. And we see, starting in chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, we see tension that continues to mount between the Jewish authorities and between Jesus. Jesus is making these huge claims about himself, and the Jewish authorities and the Pharisees, they're not liking it. And so they go back and forth, and the tension mounts. And this, as we think about New England, as we think about the South Shore of Boston, so we think about Jesus making huge claims about who he is and people not liking it. This should sound pretty familiar to us. Today, I want to show you from this passage that Jesus is the self-authenticated light of the world who exposes the painful yet life-giving truths about himself and about ourselves. I want to show you that Jesus is the self-authenticated light of the world who exposes the painful yet life-giving truths about ourselves and about God. So before we look at the passage, um, you might be wondering, why in the world did we skip the first 11 verses of chapter 8? If you have an NIV Bible, you'll see something in bracketed words. Uh, You'll see some words bracketed, excuse me, right above chapter 8. It says, the earliest and most reliable manuscript and other ancient witnesses do not have John 7.53 through 8.11. And it's because of this that the preaching team, Pastor Jeremy, Pastor Seth, myself, and others, uh, we don't have confidence that this particular section was in the original Gospel of John. And so it's because of that we will not be preaching it uh, here. So with that, let's look at John chapter 8, starting verse 12. John 8. Starting verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. And they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. The first question I want to ask about this text, there's, there's two questions I want to ask. The first question I want to ask about this text, this passage, is what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the light of the world? What did he mean when he said that? The second question I want to ask is, as the light of the world, as the self-proclaimed light of the world, what did Jesus expose to the world? What did Jesus reveal to the world? i got contact issues here, excuse me. <laughs> so two questions. What did Jesus mean by I am the light of the world? And what did Jesus expose as the light of the world? Well, if you look at verse 20, we'll notice, we'll see exactly where Jesus was when he had this conversation. Verse 20 says, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. So he was in the temple and he was in the treasury. It was also known known as the, the court of women. It was a huge courtyard where men and women would gather Um, And and lots of activity in this place, lots of people. Now, this was at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so there's a lot of things going on in the court of women. Now, during the Feast of Tabernacles, on the last day, there was something called the Illumination Ceremony that took place. And it was during the ceremony, you have to imagine, 16 huge golden bowls were filled with oil. And they were lit It was a beautiful sight, and and of course, Jerusalem didn't have any public lighting. And so at night, when they saw in the temple these 16 huge lights, it must have been a spectacular sight. Now, while the the massive lanterns were being lit, choirs of Levites sang. Jewish historians tell us that men danced in the streets, and, and people were singing songs and hymns, and they were carrying torches. It was a huge party, a massive party. Of course, the question we're all wondering at this point is, what were they celebrating? Well, we need to do some digging in the Old Testament to find that out. In the the Old Testament, light was often used to represent or tell us something about God. Now, it represented two things in the Old Testament about God. The first thing that light represented was God's presence. Remember Exodus Chapter 13, Israel was taken out of Egypt, miraculously and powerfully rescued out of bondage to the Egyptians, and they were 
taken through the wilderness and God sent a pillar of fire and light to guide them. It represented God's presence and God's glory leading and guiding his people. Light also represents something else in the Old Testament. It represents his words, God's very words. Remember in Psalm 119, I believe, your word is a lamp unto my feet. And so light uh, represents God's guidance, his, his truth that is being revealed to guide and redirect his people. So the point of the illumination ceremony is very clear. The point of the illumination ceremony was to celebrate God's past saving action, his people, we think about the exodus, and to anticipate God's future saving action. God did something miraculous in the past. He took his people out of Egypt. He delivered them. And he's going to do something similar and spectacular and show his faithfulness and his presence in the future as well. And so as Israel was looking at these lights and as they were singing and dancing, this is what they were celebrating. And it was in the midst of this celebration that Jesus stood up and boldly proclaimed, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am God's presence. I am God's words. I am God's saving action. I am the light that brings truth and guidance to this world. You don't have to wait and look forward to something happening in the future. I'm here with you right now. You celebrate and you praise God and you sing songs and you, you dance for God But you don't realize that all of this stuff that you're doing, this ceremony, it all points to me. It all finds its significance and culmination and fulfillment in Jesus. And so this must have been a very epic moment as he said these words. And the Pharisees must have been stunned. Their jaws must have been on the floor. But as we see in the the passage, the Pharisees, they, they didn't really get it. They kind of missed it. They didn't believe what he was saying about himself. Now, sometimes I miss Jesus, too, when I'm doing religious things. The thing about Christianity is it's, it's full of stuff, events and activities, ordinances that God put together, that God instituted so that we can experience and know and love Jesus more. And we can just walk through Jesus' life and we'll see this. Christmas. It's there so that the church will celebrate that God is with us. That God has taken on flesh. Good Friday, we celebrate Jesus' suffering and his death and his love for us. The resurrection day, Easter, we celebrate his resurrection, of course. And then there's the, the, the ordinances, baptism and communion. They were instituted so that we will remember the gospel. We will remember the good news of what Jesus has done for us. There's all these things that were set up so that we could remember Jesus. How many of us, I wonder, though, go through these important events and and these important ordinances without truly engaging Jesus, without truly encountering Jesus? How many of us make these holidays and these institutions an end in themselves when every single one of them find their fulfillment and culmination in Christ? 
just like the illumination ceremony did in the first century for the Jewish people. So Jesus is the light of the world, which means that he is God's salvation to the world, God's presence, God's glory, God's intervention, God's revelation. God's doing something new with Jesus. He is the light of the world. Second question. As the self-proclaimed light of the world, what is Jesus exposing? What do we find Jesus revealing to the world? Now, if you look at the Gospel of John, you'll see lots of things. He's exposing and revealing lots of things throughout the Gospel of John. But in our passage, I see three things that Jesus is exposing, three things that he's revealing. The first thing is he's revealing our darkness And he's revealing life, life in Christ. Look at verse 12, the second statement he makes here. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you attach yourself to me, to the light of the world, I'm going to take you out of darkness. If you follow me, I'm going to take you out of darkness. And when he says walk in darkness, he's he's talking about more than just ethical behavior, bad ethical behavior. He's talking about uh, darkness in our beliefs and in our thoughts, in our inner life. He's talking about darkness in our will and in our emotions, as well as darkness in our behavior and our words. As we think about the light, Jesus' light coming to the world, one of the things that Jesus does as the light is he exposes the darkness in us. Flip back to John chapter 3, just a few pages back. It's page 1052 in your pew Bibles. John chapter 3. Jesus makes reference to the light again here, starting in verse 19. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So this light that Jesus brings to us is a searing kind of light at times. It's a light that exposes darkness. It reveals dysfunction. It points out blind spots and holes and weaknesses. It Exposes everything from little peccadillos that we may have to massive, massive dramatic sins that may be in our lives. And of course, everything in between. When I was in high school, I was often uh, involved in plays and musicals. I was a choir boy. I'll say that without any shame. And uh, one of the musicals that I was involved in, it was actually my senior year, it was The Hobbit. Kid you not, The Hobbit, the musical. And uh, the the theme song was 13 Mighty Dwarves. And I was one of the Mighty Dwarves. I was Balin for all of you Lord of the Rings nerds. And uh, I had a part where um, it was a minor role, but there was a scene where um, the leader of my dwarf troop asked me to go do some scouting. So I'm off doing some scouting. My character, excuse me. And uh, so then I come back and I, I make a report back to the leader. And so I come back into the scene and the leader of the dwarves asked me, so what did you see? And I looked at him, 
and I had no idea what I was supposed to say. <laughs> no idea. And so I said, okay, and I just walked off stage. <laughs> so here, here's the thing, though. The answer, okay, doesn't answer his question, which was, what did you see when you were out there? But the worst thing about this whole situation is that dwarves don't say okay. You know, it's not in their vernacular. That's just not something dwarves would say. So, of course, I'm feeling terribly embarrassed. I'm under the spotlight. Everybody's looking at me. I, want, I was squirming. I was trying to wiggle out from under the spotlight, but I couldn't. So the only thing I could do was walk away, which is exactly what I did. So I just left the stage. Now, that's what Jesus does. He puts his spotlight on us. And we squirm and we wiggle and we feel unbelievably self-conscious. We want to ask him to take his life away from, light away from us. But we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of Jesus' exposing light. Jesus isn't a bored, bratty kid with a magnifying glass looking to kill us ants under the sun. You know, Jesus isn't some cosmic big brother that takes pleasure from making us look stupid. We can trust Jesus under his light. He won't laugh at us. He won't shame us because he deals with us so very gently. He deals with his people so very tenderly. And he has a greater purpose. He has a greater purpose for exposing the darkness in you. But make no mistake, if you want Jesus, if you want him, if you're following him, if you're going after him this morning, your darkness will be exposed. Now, thankfully... Jesus doesn't leave us exposed. He promises to take us out of this darkness. Looking back at John chapter 8. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What's amazing is that the light of life here is Jesus himself. So he just declares to everybody, hey, I am the light of the world. And then he says, if you follow me, you're going to have the light of life. You're going to have me. So he exposes the darkness that is in us, but then he covers us with himself. He satisfies us with himself. And he's enough. He's enough. If you jog over a couple chapters to John chapter 10, You'll see Jesus, you don't need to do that. <laughs> You'll see Jesus saying, the thief comes to kill and destroy. He's talking about Satan. But I have come to give what? Abundant life. Later in John chapter 14, he says, famous words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life, Jesus tells us. So Jesus is going to shed some light on our existence. He's going to uncover some things. He's going to make sense of things that we don't see yet about ourselves, about this universe, about 
the world, about himself as well. That's one of the reasons he came. And that's why some people, like the Pharisees here, rejected him. They don't like him. Jesus made the Pharisees feel so uncomfortable. Because for them, Jesus messes up everything in their religious and cultural systems. And so they say, okay, we're done with Jesus. We're done with this guy. I hope that today we will respond differently to Jesus. And some of the truths that he's going to tell us, that he may perhaps already be sharing with us, revealing to us about ourselves, they will be painful. They will be difficult. They will be incredibly humbling at times, perhaps even radically life-altering. But he also offers us himself. He exposes us, but then he covers us with himself. So the first thing we see that Jesus exposes as the light of the world is darkness and life, life that's in him. The second thing that Jesus exposes is who has the ultimate authority. Who has the ultimate authority? The Pharisees were the religious authorities of the day. I think we have seen that as we've walked through the Gospel of John. They were the religious elite. They were the religious superheroes that everybody looked up to. They were respected, probably not loved, but they were feared. They were trained biblical scholars. They were trained biblical teachers. And here they are, Wanting proof from Jesus. Here they are wanting proof from Jesus because they weren't happy that Jesus interrupted their illumination ceremony, you know, with his grandiose, wild claims about being the light of the world. So they asked for proof. And Jesus gives them three reasons in verses 14 through 18. Verse 14, first he says, You know what? I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. Jesus came from heaven, and he's going to heaven. He came from a place of perfect authority and communion with the Father and the Spirit. Came from a place where his authority and his dignity were fully realized and recognized. And he's going back to that place of perfect communion where his authority and his dignity will be realized and recognized. The second reason is found in verse 15. You judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father. The second reason here is that his judgments are correct because he stands with the Father. Later he says in John chapter 10 that he says, I and the Father are one. So in the mystery that is the Trinity, yes, they, they are separate persons, and yet there is some sort of just radical connection between the Father and the Son. They are of the same mind. They are of the same essence and nature. And that's one of his reasons. And his third reason, it's kind of a sarcastic reason, he says, okay, you want two witnesses, starting in verse 17. Your law says you need two witnesses. Okay, I'll give you two witnesses. How about me and my father? So, why is Jesus' testimony valid? Why should we trust Jesus? Well, his reason is because he is God. It's because he stands with the Father as the Son of God. And that's all he really has to say, right? 
I mean, what else is there left to say? Now, it makes sense when you think about the nature of light. Light bears witness to itself. You don't need to prove that it exists. You just need to turn the light on. And that's how it is with Jesus, too. He doesn't need some outside system that makes judgments about his rightness and his wrongness. He just needs to just be himself. So here we see that Jesus exposes that the Pharisees are not the ultimate authority. He is the ultimate authority. He's the final word. Now, this has huge implications for evangelism. If Jesus is the self-authenticated light of the world, then I don't need to be so concerned about always defending him. If the light bears witness to itself, then I don't need to prove that it exists. Here's another way of saying it. Jesus doesn't need to be defended as much as he needs to be displayed. It's like if I had a lamp in the corner of my house and it's my favorite lamp and I'm really excited about this lamp and I have friends come over and I'm like, check out this lamp. It's, it's great. Uh, the light that this lamp emits is beautiful and it, it lights up the room and isn't it beautiful? And one of my friends starts to argue with me about the lamp. The lamp's not going to work. The bulb looks shoddy. Uh, the outlet looks bad. The cord is fraying. The light's not going to work. Now, I can engage with him and I can start to argue with him a little bit, defend the lamp, or I can turn the lamp on. Too often in our evangelism, I think we get caught up in arguing about the lamps, the light of the world's authenticity, when we should be just turning the thing on. Jesus' words don't need to be proven as much as they need to be proclaimed. Jenny and I were in western China and Tibet in 2006. We were on a mission trip to this area with about 10 other people, and we were partnering with this great missionary couple that were reaching out to the Kham Tibetan people, an unreached people group in western China and Tibet. It's a great opportunity for us, and we were split into two teams, and we went off into the mountain towns and cities, pretty rural area, and we took the gospel to these people. It was a spectacular trip. I can tell you lots of stories. Uh, the last part of the trip, uh, my team was meeting with a man named Lo Numjal. Lo Numjal. And this guy had no had no connection with Jesus at all. He hadn't heard of Jesus. It's the first time that he had ever been aware of something called the Bible. Okay? And here we come in, Westerners, telling him about Jesus. Now, one of the things that he told us through the translator was, I don't believe that that's God's word. I don't believe it. He, he didn't say it antagonistically. He was just telling us, hey, I don't believe that this is God's word. Now, I could sit there and freak out a little bit and try to defend the authenticity of this book, right? Or what we did was we just opened it up and told him about Jesus through the Bible. And after two or three hours of conversation, this man who didn't believe that the Bible was God's word was transformed by it. And God brought him from spiritual death to spiritual life. I had a friend, Neville, who was back in Michigan. I built a friendship with him over the course of two or three years. And 
Uh, he and I had several conversations about Christ. He wasn't a Christian, and he was uh, struggling with Jesus' claims. He liked Jesus, but he's struggling with his claims, and he, he certainly didn't believe that this was God's word, but he believed there was some truth in here. And one day we got in this conversation where he's telling me, I don't believe that book. I said, okay. Do you want to read the Gospel of John with me? And he said, oh, okay, I'll do that. I can do that. And so we read the Gospel of John, even though he didn't have a strong love for this book and a belief in everything that's in this book. And I I think that's what we need to do in our evangelism strategy. You want to hear my evangelism strategy? It's really simple. I'm not a great evangelist. There's some of you out here that are are awesome evangelists. I praise God for you. You encourage me. You have lots of stories. I have three, you know? And I just keep talking about the same stories over and over again. I just changed the names a little bit. Just kidding. But let me tell you my evangelism strategy. My evangelism strategy is simple. It's, It's love people and read the Bible with them. That's it. This is where the power is. This is where the power is. It's not in your persuasive arguments. It's in this book. Because the seeds of authority, the seeds of transforming power are in Jesus' very words, not in my persuasion. So I don't need to always be on the defensive. And let's be honest, Christians are always on the defensive. So the second thing that Jesus reveals exposes is that he is the self-authenticated light of the world. He is the final authority. He is the final word, and nothing else needs to be said. That's so freeing to me. The third thing that Jesus reveals or exposes is his father. Look at verses 19 and 20. The Pharisees, they asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. This is a pretty bold claim. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, then you're going to know God. Because Jesus perfectly displays God. You know, in today's culture, lots of people are looking for some form of God. They're looking for God in some way. Some people view God as an impersonal force, much like the force in Star Wars. Others have a a more deistic view of God, that God created and started this universe, but now he kind of stands aloof. He stands at a distance. He's uninvolved. The Muslims, they love Allah, who is the creator and the sustainer of the world, and yet they don't worship Jesus. They see him as just a teacher and a prophet. Jehovah's Witnesses, they, uh, they worship Jehovah, the one true God, but then they relegate Jesus as to a, uh, just a good, great man. It's easy to create different versions of God to suit our varied preferences and desires. As one person has said, it's easy to create God in our image. But it's hard to point to one man and say, now that's God. Now he shows me God. 
Now, if you're here this morning, then it's safe to assume that you are in some way seeking after God. You are in some way seeking after God. I just want to tell you, I want to encourage you, if you want God, then you need to go after Jesus. If you want to know God, then your search must begin and end with Jesus. So Jesus is the light that exposes the darkness in us. He's the light who reveals to us new life that we find in him. He's the light that reveals to us that he doesn't need to be defended, but he needs to be displayed because he is the final authority in word. And he is the light that presents his glorious father to us. My friends, Jesus is your light. He is your light. He's the only one who will expose the darkness in your life without shaming you. He's the only one who will make sense of things in your life, who will clarify confusion, who will bring order to the mess. Now, what's astounding to me is that Jesus brings sinners to the light by taking on himself the darkness. Jesus was the light of the world, but Jesus also took upon himself the darkness of this world as he died on the cross for sinners. This is amazing. It's, it's just another you know, paradox that we see in the Bible, and we, we just cry out, this shouldn't be. And what's amazing is he offers us his light. He offers us his light. It may be painful, maybe humbling. Our darkness will surely be exposed, but it's worth it. It's always worth it because he gives us himself, and there's nothing better. Let's pray. Father, you have sent to us the light. You have saved us through the light of the world, which is Jesus. And as he comes into this place, even today, we, we're scared sometimes. We, we don't like to hear what he has to say. It's painful. We're exposed. But Father, you love us. You are so tender. And your light is not only one that sears us sometimes, but your light gives us life and hope. And so we praise you this morning. We thank you. We lift up praises to you. Father, thank you that Jesus shows us who you are. And I pray that we would be a people who are of the light. We would be a people who are cities on the hill who shine your light, the light of Jesus, to those who may not know. And we thank you for your word, which is good to us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.